Hello everybody and welcome to WTS 185. My name is Danny Murray. I am Graham Merrigan. How are you? I am absolutely fantastic, G Merrigan. Yeah, was... we're, getting a, we're getting a good dose of lovely weather at the moment. Yeah, absolute scorching weather is what we... Now, by the time this goes out on Sunday, it'll probably be thundering light and lashing rain with hailstones. But yes, because I... it's auction, It's traditionally auction weekend coming up, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, an auction weekend, they used to always just torrential rain. It's just miserable, yeah, it's just miserable. Yeah. Glastonbury First weekend week. is beautiful, and auction weekend is... And do you know why that is? It's because oxygen was in, what, Punchestown on one of them? So, yeah. you know, probably deserved misery, didn't it? Do you remember the year... Um, they had canoes and all at Glastonbury because it was just a whitewash. I, I don't. I, I really oh. don't. I wasn't oh, there. Do you not watch do you watch Glastonbury? Um it depends on who's playing, to be yeah. honest now. I only watched um, a tiny bit of it this year. I watched a bit of Miley Cyrus. Did she play Glastonbury? Yeah, and she was sensational. I would highly recommend finding the footage. She basically done like an hour to cover versions. She does an amazing version of Amy Winehouse back to black. Un, like genuinely one of the best versions of that song I've ever heard in my life. I'm gonna check it now. Jesus, because I Miley. love Amy Winehouse. I love Miley Cyrus. Um, yeah, no. I'm getting first sorry. Weekend sorry. Of July is usually witness oxygen uh, weather, so it was always shit when any time we went down to oxygen and witness. That's true. That's true. Festival season in Ireland tends to be, except Electric Picnic. That seems to get a little, little yeah, smooth run. Nice. Little bump. That's it, man. That's it. Um. Yeah, this is this is one eighty five. Um, we're now a couple of weeks back after our extended hiatus. Um, and we've got a load of stuff planned and coming up, including possibility of a live show. Who said that? What? Who said what? Oh, who said that? What? 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 Live show? What? Don't know. Stop it, man. In October was it? What? I don't know. I'm just saying we happen to be fifteen away from a pretty big milestone. Know what I mean? Yeah. Oh wow. Well. Oh, oh, oh wow. Well. Um, but yeah, but until those many episodes pass week by week we'll be bringing you content that you love ladies and gentlemen including welcoming back friends that we had on many many episodes ago to hear what they've got up to since we last talked to them but also what's been happening in other things most notably in this case lads we're welcoming back Irvin Muchnick to the podcast who is Arguably the most relentless human being on the planet in terms of trying to bring the George Gibney case not only to more eyes and ears around the world, but to some sort of justice and accountability, I think is how he put it to us. He he wants to find, you know, a resolution that involves both of those outcomes. Yeah. Um the last time we talked to Irv was nearly two it's over two years ago. And he was in the process of submitting a freedom of information request in the US to try and find out more about Gibney and his precarious situation in the States. Um, so when we talked to him earlier on, he gave us an update on that and just an update on the George Gibney case in general and why 2019 may be the year that accountability and justice finally comes around to Gibney's doorstep. Yeah, and here is the interview with Irv Muchnick. Uh, we're delighted to welcome back, after a couple of years, the one and only Ervin Muchnick, who will be coming to these shores very soon. But more importantly, he's released an updated copy of his ebook, The George Gibney Chronicles, 
What the hunt for the most notorious at-large sex criminal in the history of global sports has told us about the sports establishments and governments on two continents. Irvin, thank you so much for joining us, man. Hey, thank you, lads, for having me. It's really, um, it's really a pleasure to have this platform to, and and I'm very much looking forward to uh, landing in the Emerald Isle shortly. Lovely. Um. So, I mean, this was the last one we talked to you. There, there was a lot about to go down. But for people who maybe didn't hear that, or people who haven't had a refresher in the George Gibney case, give us the cliff notes up until kind of you made the Freedom of Information Act uh, request. Right. right. So, of course, this is it's, a, it's an easier story to tell Irish listeners because they at least know it as a serial front page story across many years. Unfortunately, where I live in America and where George Gibney has been living, hiding in plain sight for a quarter of a century, it's crickets in the major media, which is very frustrating. But George Gibney was the Irish Olympic swimming head coach in 1984 and 1988. I call him the most notorious at-large sex criminal in the history of global sports because he molested more young people than we'll probably ever know. Uh, he was never convicted in Ireland because of a legal technicality. His case got thrown out in 1994 by the Irish Supreme Court on what we call in America statute of limitations, but it was a very controversial ruling. And uh, he then uh, made his way mysteriously, who helped him? I think it's the American Swimming Coaches Association. I think the judge in my Freedom of Information Act case for Gibney's immigration files, which settled in, in uh, 2017, uh, the judge uh, went out of his way to say Muchnick suspects that the American Swimming Coaches Association greased the wheels for Gibney's relocation. And it, as we speak now, and as the new version, uh, second edition of my ebook comes out, uh, Gibney is under some new measure of federal agent investigation in the United States. And there is renewed hope, as there has been off and on across all these many years, that uh, George Gibney could get deported from the U.S. and extradited back to Ireland for trial on these old charges, which would be revived and on newly emerging allegations and new information that we've had across all these years. So that's where things are. And uh, what my ebook does is try to run readers down past all of the uh, of the latest information and in the, the grounds that might exist for uh, for busting Gibney, who's been very lucky and has used various bureaucratic and legalistic loopholes across all these years. And let me say finally that although, you know, I think what we most care about is justice for all of Gibney's victims or as many who want to have that step taken if it gives them some relief and closure. We care about that. But as an American who came to this story late, 
and is, is curious about the connection to the USA swimming scandals and the Olympic sports scandals in general as uh, epitomized by what's happened in USA Gymnastics with Dr. Larry Nasser. I think what I care about deeply is accountability, even if there's not criminal justice resolution, the people in swimming, in the government, in high places, wherever they exist, in Ireland, the United States, this is a global problem. And I would like to write, I would like to write the final chapter of the global story about how these things happen and how we can prevent them from happening again. So one of the things there, when, when you say that and, and kind of the, the future prevention of these things, there are going to, with any of these cases, you would argue there's going to be lessons learned, and and especially the American gymnastics um, example as well as one that I know was in the press um, over the last while. Like it always astonishes me how easy it seems for the these people to commit these these crimes, and, and I don't mean that in any sort of um, way to disparage kind of the victims or anything, but but it just seems as though it seems almost too easy for these guys to to have gotten away with it to a certain point. So is, is there more to be done around the, the vetting process? And yeah, it's it's a tremendously thorny problem, and it, and it, and it involves there's so many layers to it. And I think what you which one of the things that your question suggests is is just how normalized sexual abuse is and it's normalized because of because of the differences between uh convicting someone criminally and realizing that something is wrong and that these individuals need to be administratively rooted out of of child serving programs whether it's swimming or teaching or and anything and that, and that those are actually two separate questions, so people don't wrap their minds around that. But the ultimate answer to your question is a cultural one, and it gets to an aspect of my reporting that, frankly, is unpopular, not just with perpetrators, uh, but with victims' families and victims' parents. And I really want to challenge sports parents who are often too much like uh, stage parents and, and join in the fantasy of college scholarships, Olympic glory, or whatever, and they outsource their parenting to Svengali coaches or authority figures in other realms of life. And, there are, and, and they don't really uh, come to grips with their ownership of their of part of the problem until it's too late and the worst happens to their own child at which point they become very vociferous critics of the system but maybe we all need to uh, not just those uh, we, we all need to be involved as sports parents vigilantly and with proper proportion and perspective and realize that this is a problem for all of us. It's not just a problem when it happens to, 
we don't we should just be hoping that the worst doesn't happen to our own kid and then enable the cover-ups and the denial and the the cultural aspects of of putting coaches on pedestals like priests and trying to uh hope that bad things don't happen i hope that that ramble is coherent and 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 it challenging enough to everyone not just demonizing the bad players and the bad apples who of course do need to be rooted out do we know where uh, george gibney is in 2019 now last time we knew he was in altamont springs florida which is a suburb just north of orlando in central florida i i call him hiding in plain sight I mean, I don't think that he's uh, he's done a few things. Like sometimes maybe he goes by John Gibney. He's in, instead of uh, George Gibney. I guess his name is George John Gibney. There may be that kind of a trick. I mean, I don't think he advertises his uh, his uh, past as a swimming coach anymore. But uh, but I don't see him like particularly hiding. He's the government has uh, has given him cover through this uh, ridiculous catch-22 that my uh, Freedom of Information Act case exposed in 2017. And that is that in 2010, during an earlier iteration of a campaign to get him extradited from uh, the United States and to get the uh, Director of Public Prosecutions in Ireland to revive the case, in 2010, it seems that he panicked and decided to apply for naturalized U.S. citizenship, probably thinking that that would permanently inoculate him from all these efforts to, uh, to, to bring him back once and for all. So he applied for citizenship, but unfortunately for him, the citizenship application asked not just whether he had ever been convicted of a prime, crime previously, but whether he had ever been arrested or indicted or anything. And of course he had been indicted in 1993 in Ireland on 27 counts of illicit carnal knowledge of minors. So he, he withheld that from his application. By then, US Citizenship and Immigration Services, which administers the uh, citizenship applications, they already knew about these past charges because they'd been tipped off by Evan Daly, an, an Irish American activist. And so USCIS went back to Gibney and said, uh, hey lad, you wanna give this another shot? Uh, you, want to, you wanna try a do over of your application because we wanna note that these are all the categories that you have to report, not just whether you've ever been convicted. And apparently he didn't comply because USCIS denied his citizenship application. Now, here's where the catch-22 part comes in. At the same time that USCIS was saying no to citizenship, another agency of the notorious Department of Homeland Security in the United States, an agency called ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, was putting out an, an opinion letter that said, George Gibney is, cannot be removed from the country 
because he has never been convicted of a crime. So he didn't get citizenship because he lied on his citizenship application about his Irish criminal past, yet because he was not convicted, another arm of the government was saying he couldn't be removed. So what, George, what uh, Judge Breyer in my case was asking, and what I think many others are asking is, why is there no consequence for lying on your citizenship application other than not becoming a citizen? Why, is he, why did that not redound to his green card, which gives him permanent resident alien status? Uh, and, uh, you know, it's crazy, but that, that's where it is. Um, it, it, in, in a funny way, if Gibney had lied on his citizenship application and succeeded in getting citizenship, he'd be more vulnerable to the current U.S. government than by failing to get citizenship because ICE now has a, an office as directed by President Trump to go after citizens who got their citizenship under false pretenses. But that's not Gibney. He didn't get his citizenship under false pretenses. And at the time that he applied for his original visa and he got from Ireland to the United States on the so-called Donnelly Diversity Lottery Visa program. Uh, at the time of his application for a visa, he had gotten a Garda precinct station to provide a certificate of character, as they called it, stating that he had, he had no criminal record, which was true at the time that the Garda provided it, but it was pretty misleading because he was about to get indicted and everybody knew it, but he didn't technically lie on that visa application. 10 years later, which would be the time he would have had to have renewed his application for a green card, the green card renewal application doesn't ask him anything about that. It just says you have a change of address or you've married now or remarried or whatever. And so the only lie is on the citizenship application. I mean, the only provable lie. So it's, it's nuts. But here he is. And, and what the investigators are looking at now, I'm told by, by sources close to them, and this is what my new ebook material is about, is they're, they're looking at the probability that in around 1998, while living in Colorado, Gibney was the president, or the chairman, as he called it, of the Peru Eye Clinic Foundation. And it was a church medical mission in Peru. And if he went down there and did something untoward or things happened on, in that program under his supervision, that might be more juicy grist for, uh, for busting Gibney than all this crazy paperwork stuff which is nonsensical, but, but I think the federal agents who are eager to help out now don't consider that as fertile as actually finding wrongdoing while he was living in America. And, so, and that's where we are. So if, when, when you mentioned there, um, you know, it's, it's the Trump regime and the whole ICE situation, which has been making, uh, you know, it's definitely been in the news over here. And you've got, you know, American politicians like AOC coming out and actively, you know, 
calling out that these are basically concentration camps and that kind of thing. But what it's it's painting is the image of um, an, an America that seems far less tolerant in terms of allowing anyone that may or may not be a criminal into the country if there's any sort of suspicion. Now, I know you were saying the the sort of status of Gibney in America isn't, it's not in that bracket, but given how trigger happy, for want of a, a better term, this regime is in terms of, you know, deporting people, is that playing into why 2019 may be the year of reckoning for George Gibney? I think so, and I think I think the the Trump administration role in this is extremely complicated. Let me say first that I hate Donald Trump, and I hope he doesn't get reelected or doesn't become president for life. And I hope that my country, which seems to be slouching towards theocracy at the same time that Ireland is marching confidently into the 21st century, uh, I hope that my country can can recover from the damage that's being done by this. But I'm not out to demonize Donald Trump in this. Here's what I think is going on. Uh, Trump does represent a point of view that we need to get undesirables out of the country. Now, he admittedly seems to give voice to this more with respect to Muslims and Central Americans. For white Europeans, not so much. But having said that, I do have indication from people in Ireland who tell me that there is a bit of a push right now to get some bad guys sent. And we have, we have some examples, a sports photographer recently, I forget the name, who was extradited from the United States. So some of that may be happening. Now, maybe because Trump or people under Trump uh, uh, want to have at least a few examples to make it look like it's not all about one population that's being targeted. So that's one aspect of the story. Another aspect of the story, I have a son who's a public defender, and he's argued with me a lot about some of my reporting on Trump because he says, like, be careful. Because uh, let's stick to the point of criminality in George Gibney and not so much about whether his paperwork wasn't in order because that kind of stuff can be weaponized and can be used to, uh, you know, to violate the civil liberties of all. That's a good point. And I think I've, it's, it's something that I – it's a tightrope that I try to walk in writing about George Gibney because he's such a heinous character. He's mm. such a special case, really. So that's another thing. Now, last thing I want to say about Trump is I don't have any indication that anything about George Gibney has risen to the level of the president of the United States at any point along the way. Now, it may be different. I can't talk about this now. It's future reporting. It actually may be different with respect to Ireland, which is a smaller country where yeah. cronyism carries the day a lot more easily. But what I will say about Trump is that he's the anti-Clinton, he's the anti-Obama, and and as we talk about Trump and immigration issues, just as we have to realize that that uh, uh, Obama didn't have concentration camps essentially like Trump had at our southern border, but he did deport a lot of people. It's like it's not all it's not it's not all about Trump. We have to recognize that George Gibney got into the United States 
during the Bill Clinton administration. This ridiculous ruling by ICE in 2010 that got him to remain after he lied on his application happened during the Barack Obama administration. So let's keep our eye on the ball here. Let's talk about the procedures. Let's talk about the evidence. Let's talk about getting this guy, you know, uh, 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 at the bar of justice and accountability for Irish swimming and American swimming. And let's not worry so much about the personalities at the top of the government. So, John, go on, Graham, go on. Yeah, I was, no, I was, I was going to bring it to in relation to Ireland in terms of who are you working with in Ireland to try and get Gibney back to Ireland, and are you having any stumbling blocks? Well, the main person I'm I'm working with is is a TD Marina Sullivan, who in 2015, around the same time I started jumping into the uh, into the Gibney story, um, is has been really spearheading the latest round of efforts to get the director of public prosecutions to seek his extradition. So I've talked with Marina Sullivan a lot. She actually wrote a guest piece for my website uh, shortly after the Freedom of Information Act case. And and, and um, the, what I need from her, and she's, she's reached out to uh, sister legislators in the United States, most especially Congresswoman Jackie Spear of California, who's kind of the unofficial Democratic watchdog on sports abuse issues. And uh, uh, Ms. O'Sullivan met with Ms. Spear in, uh, in, in Washington, D.C. last year. Uh, but, you know, it's, I, I, I think part of, their, part of Congresswoman Spear's problem is uh, who's served much, Nick? New York Times hasn't written about this yet, so she needs, like, more juice and more pressure to take action. And as we know, there, there are just so many abuse scenarios in the Me Too movement. There's so many high profile cases that are taking up a lot of oxygen in this area. But, but I've told Marina Sullivan that, the, that one of the keys, I think, is getting the Garda to coordinate their information with the police in Florida, because there is actually one known crime by George Gibney on American soil. And that was before he was a permanent resident of the United States, but he took his team from the New Park Comprehensive School in Black Rock County, Dublin. The, the team was called the Trojans. He took them to Tampa, Florida on a training trip in 1991, June of 1991. And, and there he uh, raped and impregnated a teen swimmer whom he had previously molested in Holland. And uh, uh, that woman was drugged and taken by an Irish swimming official to England for an abortion. And she's been in and out of ability to really pull herself together and testify. But she did give the Garda an affidavit. She... Uh, uh, there, there are protocols under the uh, 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 treaties between the United States and the European Union whereby uh, police agencies from different jurisdictions can coordinate 
and uh, have joint investigative teams and somebody just has to knock the heads together between uh, the Irish Garda and the Hillsborough County uh, uh, police in Florida and, uh, and the uh, state uh, attorney there and uh, make this happen. Because if nothing else, even if all the other cases were to fall away or not have good enough evidence or whatever, this one actually happened in America be like a reason to, uh, to, to get rid of George Gibney right then and there. So when, like, I know, I think you briefly mentioned that that particular case, the last one we had John Irv, and we kind of used it to contextualize that, like, for, for us, we, we, we're from an area that, that's five, ten minutes drive from that particular New Park school that you're talking about, and I kind of brought it a little bit home to us and definitely to some of our listeners in terms of, you know, sometimes people hear these stories and because they happen in you know, a, a city or, or a village on the other side of the country, you know, they, they don't necessarily relate in terms of like, Jesus, that could have been somebody I know. Right. Um, but, but the fact that it was more or less on our doorstep, I, I know at the time I was like, geez, you know, so but with these cases, no, no matter what, like, as you said earlier, Gibney's a despicable character. And the whole story around him is is one of you know he might get away so you know i know you've been actively talking about it i think you've you've appeared on um off the ball on news talk i think you've talked to broadsheet um over here as well when when you're over here in ireland what what else will you be doing to try and bring this more to the to the, to the public eye right well it, well i'm in ireland and in, in addition to seeing your lovely country uh I'm going to be on the run a lot. I, know I will be meeting with uh, T.D. O'Sullivan mm-hmm. and uh, and others, friendly journalists. You mentioned Broadsheet. I have to give a big thank you to John Ryan and the people at Broadsheet who are actually underwriting my trip. It's very kind of them. Um, and uh, and I hope to see some some uh, some victims victims families. I have a few things tentatively set up, but yeah, the the whole thing needs. It always needs more energy and more of a push. I don't want to put all the burden on the Irish, though, because, as I said, I think that at, at this point, the ball is largely in the court of the Americans. If they're, if they're going to say Gibney can't be removed from the country, uh, we need to give them a reason to, uh, to change their mind about that. And that requires that, uh, that outlets larger than my own Concussion, Inc., uh, start understanding the 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 scale of George Gibney, who who some uh, attorneys who who uh, represent victims in the United States believe is actually a, a Larry Nasser level figure. But you know, ranking ranking the monsters is kind of a useless exercise. The point is, he's a really big deal. He was the Olympic head coach. Somehow, USA Swimming which at least briefly had him as a member because he was coaching in Colorado and probably the American Swimming Coaches Association, which may have brokered this job offer letter that he got. Um, you know, we, we, we all have a piece of this. And so, you know, I, I don't know where, I don't know exactly what your question was and exactly what my answer is, but it's a constant push. 
to get this to get to get people's attention on this and and to take action and i certainly hope that my my visit to ireland will uh will help in that regard right and before we take a little bit of a veer in our conversation um where can people find the chronicles of george gibney should they want to read it and find out more about your your work on them Right. My, my website is concussioninc.net, C-O-N-C-U-S-S-I-O-N-I-N-C.net. And there'll be a link there to the, to the, to the Gibney book, which is available on Kindle if you have that e-reader. If you don't, you can uh, email me directly, and there are instructions at my website, and, uh, and make a remittance by PayPal, and I'll, I'll send you a PDF version of the e-book. So uh, uh, thank you for the for the uh, the plug allowance there. Not not at all, man. <laughs> it's it's uh it's definitely something that people should look into if they've if they've any interest at all in kind of getting to know this because the work you've put into this area is it's second to none. It really is. Um, it's really commendable that you would just. I just find it. Um, I don't know if bizarre is the right terminology to use, but you were saying earlier in the interview that it's not really getting mainstream media in the States and through your tireless work, hopefully, hopefully something can happen and justice can be, can be done. Well, thank you. I hope so too. I mean, it's a great, I mean, you know, as, as Paul Kimmage wrote about me in the Irish Sunday independent a few years ago, you know, the internet saved me because of, for whatever reason, I just, I, I just, you know, I've, I, I wrote a cover story for the New York Times Magazine. I've written a lot of major magazine articles. I've written a few books, but, but these days I can't get arrested for the stuff I write about. So uh, at least, at least I have the ability to, uh, to put it out there, get it in circulation, make a footprint, and, uh, and hope that, uh, that it gets uh, elevated in my little megaphone finds a microphone somewhere uh, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of that's kind of my mo these days well, but, well, I, but i love my work because nobody tells me what to write you know nobody's uh uh nobody's uh, censoring me or uh i'm my own yeah. boss and that means a lot to me too well, well here's hoping it ends up being more than just an l4 print there um on a, on a complete swerve though uh while you're in ireland i i appreciate you probably have a packed schedule in such a short time and i'm sure the guys at broadsheet will keep you busy as well um but if if we could recommend anything at all to you it's to try what's called a spice bag it is an irish delicacy Irv, and uh yeah it's all right it's, well I, i'm writing that down i'm, uh, I'm definitely gonna off diet for the next the next couple of weeks i think, I think <laughs> you, you'll, you'll need to be um you'll need to go to like a chinese takeaway to get that by the way it's not um it's not something you'd ask for in a pub don't worry we're not trying to set you up for something dodgy yeah. okay uh, <laughs> well we, but we it, want you to re we want you to review the spice bag as a tweet so you yeah. need to tweet if you get your hands in a spice bag we want your thoughts in a tweet all right i've, I've, I've written that down it's, it's great <laughs> And just generally, I mean, I thought you were going to say something else, and and it's a it's a joke I have that you know I'm really not much of a drinker, but when in Rome, you know, yeah. so uh, 
so uh, and I just hope that nobody notices as I'm as I'm hoisting a pint with various friends. I hope nobody notices when I'm slipping a little bit of a root beer uh, into the Guinness. Uh, I don't know how much I can handle at my age anymore, but I'm going to find out. Don't worry. Most pubs over here will do with shandy. I'm not sure if they have that. I'm not sure if that's a terminology that's used in America, but it's basically a half beer, half what lemonade. Oh, okay. Half whatever. Well, that's yeah, my so. speed. There we go. Yeah, so so don't worry. You, you'll be in good company. That's a, a lot of people go for them, especially when they're trying to. You, there's a thing over here. People, oh, I'm off the drink. They're not necessarily off the drink. What they're doing is having half points or you know a couple <laughs> less than they normally would. Ervem, can you talk to us about your updated version of Chris and Nancy too? Yeah, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> um, you know. This is the other goofy thing about my career is that um, I basically got stuck around 1985 uh, with my epiphany that the uh, what they were calling the pro wrestling renaissance or what it was was like a marketing war that broke out in the in the U.S. when cable television expanded. And when uh, wrestling was no longer a territorial system, but you could have a national and a global marketing base. And so a big war broke out and Vince McMahon and WWE wrote the, won the war. And, and, and I sort of decided that, that, that this was like the explanation for the decline of Western civilization. And uh, unfortunately, I was never able to find a major publisher uh, who who uh, thought that there were enough people who were interested in that subject and bought books. So I never got a major book contract. But I've always been fascinated by the subject because my uncle was Sam Muchnick in St. Louis was a big promoter. And I and I grew up on, on, on pro wrestling from when I was knee high to a turnbuckle. So I've always you know written about it, chipped away at it. And then the books I've written wound up being wrestling books, Wrestling Babylon, which came out in, uh, in uh, 2007 and was essentially a collection of my magazine pieces. And then uh, after that, the book about the Benoit double murder-suicide, uh, which happened just as Wrestling Babylon was coming out in 2007. And the Benoit book came out in 2009, now 10 years ago, and my uh, uh, Canadian-based book publisher, ECW Press, is going to be putting out a third edition of it, what we're calling the historical edition, with a little bit of grandiosity, that will be out next spring. And I'm looking forward to that because the, the, the repackaging of Chris and, and, and Nancy is going to involve a new introduction, which talks about all these themes that, I just mentioned, which now seems to be like smacking us in the face in the era of Donald Trump, who actually, you know, was, was a wrestling personality, a pal of the McMahons, Linda McMahon, Vince McMahon's wife was in his cabinet as, uh, as the administrator of the Small Business Administration. Vince and Linda McMahon were the, uh, were the largest contributors to the fraudulent Donald J. Trump Foundation, which is this self-serving farcical thing that he had. And the, and the McMahon's payment to Trump 
was basically a payout for Trump's role in one of the WrestleManias where there was a hair versus hair match between his surrogate and Vince McMahon's surrogate. And Donald Trump won, so Vince McMahon, the villain, got his head shaved. Blah, 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 blah. Right. So anyway, Trump got elected and, and, you know, somebody actually did a book about, you know, Donald Trump and the wrestlingization of America. And it was really old hat to me. But, you know, what can I say? I mean, this guy had better timing than I had. And maybe he had the chop to write about about the the culture mongering aspects of uh, of wrestling and, and, you know, our our shout fest culture and and how everything is about uh, uh, about image instead of substance these days and all the things that 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 uh, that get us uh, overwrought about how how wrestling has maybe taken over a little too much even if we were wrestling fans um, so so I'll just say I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my shot in the uh, introduction to the historical edition of Chris and Nancy, and we'll 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 get uh, 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 Donald Trump hasn't done any of us much good, but maybe slapping his puss on the cover will sell a few more copies of it and get this uh, get this story out to people to a new generation of readers who may not even know who Chris Benoit was and what this horrible dark chapter of wrestling history was all about. Well, that's something I was going to ask because in terms of WWE, they've they've more or less tried to erase Chris Benoit from their history. So, you know, th- there is, uh, I suppose, a, a generation upcoming that, you know, maybe don't know it or aren't familiar with it. And it is one of the darkest stories from um, kind of the last, well, well, wrestling history, really. But in in terms of your, your book, Irv, um, you know, what what could people expect if people have never if they they don't even know the name Chris Benoit? What could people expect when they pick up your book? Yeah, well, Chris Benoit was like a, was like one of the greatest in ring performers of all time. He was small, he was smallish, uh, and he didn't have a lot of color. wasn't like a great interview, great talker, but he was a great physical performer, and 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 he he overcame various handicaps uh because of his talent and and actually was it was a you know not the very very top tier star but he had a championship and you know he, he 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 was he was a real big superstar in wwe so it's a story about him and how driven he was and part of what drove chris benoit also uh motivated him to uh take massive amounts of steroids, which probably, you know, in combination with sleeping pills and muscle relaxers and all the other, you know, the cocktail, I call it the cocktail of death, all of everything that he ingested probably uh, contributed to deranging him. And then the, the other aspect of it was uh, 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 head trauma, because he, he was one of those guys who did anything to put over his match and to try to make people think that whatever they thought of wrestling, what he was doing was real. And, you know, he took chair shots to the head and, and, and suffered, as, as was found in, uh, 
in, in, in his autopsy later to be one of the earliest and most serious known cases of chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So it's a story of the uh, price that people pay in the entertainment industry to entertain us that we don't really necessarily want to know about. <laughs> and, and, but, but it makes us all, you know, take pause. Now, the funny thing is, like, WWE has done better. Like, their wellness policy has probably improved. I, I think it's still farcical. It's still a joke because it, it's not independent. But it has improved. The Benoit death in 2007 came at the very peak of an unbelievable pandemic of hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, young athletes who perished before their time, not just in WWE, which dominates the pro wrestling industry, but industry-wide and worldwide and other, com other companies and other countries. Um, so they, they have done better, but we're kind of asleep at the switch because, uh, you know, it's still dangerous, not regulated, totally under the thumb of Vince McMahon, who has a virtual monopoly. We just had another suicide recently of the uh, the female wrestler, Ashley Mazzaro, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, again, it's the, uh, it's, it's the, uh, how the sausage is made in the sausage factory part of, of, uh, of being a consumer of sports and entertainment and the question of when, whether whenever too much is ever enough and if we're going to uh, take these people and their lives seriously as human beings instead of as entertainers. Did you happen to catch um, recently? I think it was a was a Voice TV that done the dark side of wrestling. Did you happen to catch any of any of those um, mini documentaries there? So far, I've only seen one. I saw the one on the Von Erich family and Ted. Oh, that was brilliant! And, uh, yeah, yeah. So I so I saw that, and I actually wrote a blog post about it, which people can read it. At, I think it's from May uh, at concussioninc.net. You'll see it there. So, I mean, the Von Eric was very special to me because that was maybe my first big article about wrestling behind the scenes when I got, you know, excited by the subject in the 1980s. It, it, I did an article about the Von Erichs for Penthouse Magazine yeah. in 1988. And it was at the point where David Von Erich had died somewhat mysteriously in Japan and... Mike Von Erich had committed suicide. And after the article came out, and the article was collected in, a, in an anthology called Best Magazine Articles 1988, I'm very proud to say. But it, it was after the article came out, Chris Von Erich committed suicide, and then Kerry Von Erich committed suicide. So what the Viceland piece is about is like the last man standing is Kevin Von Erich, yeah. who's now living in, in sort of elegiac exile in Hawaii. Uh, I, you know, it was a powerful piece of television. It did bring in people uh, even who weren't familiar with wrestling. Maybe it was, it was this information, this material was accessible. I'm a little bit jaded about the Von Erics, who I think are like 
Elmer Gantry figures. I mean, liars, Bible-beating uh, hypocrites believe their own hype. So I'm sick of the Von Erichs. I'm very, you know, I have to be at a human level. You have to, you have to sympathize with, uh, with Kevin Von Erich as a survivor. I'm sure the yeah. pain that they all endured with this, with all of these losses, uh, was real. Um, but uh, I was uh, less impressed with the uh, with the takeaway of the Viceland piece, which was just Kevin Von Erich now pushing his sons, Ross and. And I can't remember the name of the other son of Kevin's. Marshall, We're now, I think. Marshall, Ross and Marshall Von Eric. They're a tag team and one of the uh, second tier companies, ROH, maybe. Yeah. Um, and um, so, you know, it's, to me, it was like, it's like the movie The Great Santini with uh, Robert Duvall. He, he's, like a, he's like this autocratic, militaristic uh, uh, patriarch of the family. And he's like, he tells these delusional stories about what a military hero he was and everything. And and then at the end of the movie, the Robert Duvall character dies and his son, who's been just like totally manipulated and dominated by this father, becomes just like the father at the end. So uh, so I thought the Viceland piece was uh, Fritz von Erich is the great Santini. Uh, but it is, but it is very interesting, and the the whole Viceland series is interesting. I haven't seen the one yet on the Montreal Screw Job with with uh, Sean Michaels at heart. I haven't seen the one on Bruiser Brody, which I want to see. The Bruiser Brody one is very good, very very good. And there is talk. There is talk, by the way, uh, uh, that there is going to be a season two of Dark Side of the Ring from Viceland. And that it, it's going to cover such topics as Chris Benoit, and another thing that I report a lot about the uh, the Jimmy Superfly Snuka, yeah, a probable murder of his girlfriend in uh, near Allentown, Pennsylvania, in 1983. So as we know in, in pro wrestling, there's no there's no shortage of dark side of the ring uh, stories if you want to go there, and yeah. uh, and vice versa, yeah. and they're doing a pretty good job. A lot of content. The Fabulous Moolah one is very good as well. Here. Okay. I'll, it, I'll very controversial. Never, never the one I know, the Fabulous Moolah was in one time uh, 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 Larry Matisic, my late friend, who was the right-hand man to my uncle Sam Muchnick uh, in the promotion in St. Louis, uh, he told me the story of uh, – uh, Jack Briscoe was the NWA champion at this time in this anecdote. And uh, Fabulous Moolah was, had a shot on the same show in St. Louis. And Jack is walking back to his car from, from Keel Auditorium after the show. And somebody is like harassing him in the park in darkness and, and is like insulting him. And, and, and Jack goes after him. And Fabulous Moolah was with him. And um, she knew that this was a bad situation. Like it couldn't, you know, it couldn't end well for the like the celebrity wrestler who's a professional athlete and can beat the crap out of this guy if he actually does go after him. So she grabbed him by the arm and she said she stroked his arm. And it's it's hard to it's hard to envision fabulous moolah Lillian Ellison as this kind of like vic, uh, temptress or uh, you know seductive. Female figure, but she 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 uh, 
rub Jack's arm and coo down. She says, come on, Mulan loves you. Let's go. Let's move along. And she defused the situation. I thought that was a funny story. I just threw that out there. I thought of my great wrestling anecdotes that I know you and your listeners are so eager to hear. Well, given I think a lot of our listeners will probably remember Moolah from the Attitude Era. So that's the mental image they'll have right now. Moolah was was involved in, you know, we mentioned the Montreal screw job, but she was in like a great double cross before that, where she put on a mask. I think she was the spider lady or something. Yeah, they they covered it in the Montreal. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Very good. So I'm, again, in that piece but yeah wendy richter had a falling out with wwe and they wanted to get the the belt off her and uh, so they double crossed her with uh, with the fabulous moolah under the mask as the spider lady and that was basically the, the the screw job several years before probably a dozen years before the montreal screw job against bret hart in 1997. yeah i think i think does jim Cornette references another double cross as well as kind of where the inspiration from the screw job comes from. Right. What, 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 what Jim Carnett talks about is reading the, there's a, there's a book. It's like the original kayfabe wrestling book mm. that spills secrets. It was written by a guy named Marcus Griffin in the 1930s. The book is called fall guys. So he talks about all the, uh, all the backstage politics and pro wrestling in that era. And really nothing changes. I mean, the style changes, the context changes, the personalities change, but there's a certain rhythm to that carnival-like industry. It has a DNA. And if, if anybody can get a hold of that, I think there've been reprints of Fall Guys. It's very interesting. In the mid 1980s, I went to the New York Public Library main branch on Fifth Avenue and 42nd Street, and they had like a ratty old copy of Fall Guys from 50 years earlier that was falling apart. And I read it, and like Jim Cornette, I was like thoroughly engrossed by it. Yeah. Um, just for, for the Chris and Nancy one, that'll be out early next year, did you say? I think what's going to happen is I'm going to come out, I'm going to probably publish the new introduction very late in the year uh, before the holidays so people can start pre-ordering it if they want. But it's on the spring 2010 list at ECW Press. So I think it's actually going to be out in March or April or May of next year. So, you know, Brent, it, Brent. put that down on your, uh, on your uh, holiday gift list for your wrestling fan. <laughs> That's it. Merlo, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Irv, as always, man, it's been great talking to you. And um, we hope that the, the, the flight and everything goes well and your trip over here is, is very worthwhile and you get to enjoy it as well as you, you get to um, get a little bit more from the, the, the Gibney files, as you say. Um, Concussioninc.net is the website. And if people want to follow you on social media or anything like that, your Twitter that page and Still. at Irv Much I-R-V-M-U-C-H brilliant brilliant very generous yeah, really great really appreciate it and email me the the name of that that, that dish I've got to try again because I'll forget <laughs> it's chicken and okay. french fries <laughs> okay got it brilliant Irv Much Nick thank you so much for joining us really appreciate thanks it so thanks a lot take care he's a relentless man
He's yes, a relentless man. If it wasn't for him, would 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 people be trying to be campaigning for justice? Like, is there is there many victims like but, rallying yeah. around? Well, there definitely has been outspoken victims, and one of the most kind of well known, I suppose, O'Toole, is Gary, Gary O'Toole, the the uh, Irish Olympian, um, and and now pundit on RTE, and he's a regular on, um, the he's the the papers when they're doing the papers on news talk over the weekend and that kind of thing, um, you'd often hear him popping up. But I, I suppose the main thing with with this is like Irvin's work, while like saying he's relentless in terms of how he's pursued this and the work he has put into this has been literally second to none. You know, places like broadsheet.ie um, and off the ball have been instrumental in bringing his work to an Irish audience and, and helping more eyes and ears get on this story. And uh, it was through broadsheet that I first uh, read about Irvin. I, like I'd seen something that they put up about Gibney and he happened to be um, heavily featured in it and from there that that's when we got him on the podcast originally and so the story has developed but uh if 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 and hopefully he will be if gibney is brought to justice um i remember you brought massive it, footnote. Uh, i brought it i remember you brought it to my attention uh way back um and i knew where much is Ervin Muchnik's name from pro wrestling i yeah. didn't know I was like, oh, Danny, that's wrong. He's not. What would, what would he have to do with an, an Irish swimming coach? No way. That's wrong. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And it was, it's, it's an added bonus to be able to talk about pro wrestling. Exactly. So that was good anyway. It was, yeah. I hope he does try his voice bag. I hope he does try his voice bag now. He better try his voice bag. He's, he you know, seems very confused. You know what I, you know what I got recently? What uh, you got recently? Spice chicken balls. Oh yeah, I've heard this. This is the thing now. Yeah, this lovely. Is, yeah, this is clearly the evolution. Salt and chili chicken balls is the evolution yeah, yeah. of spice bag. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know, man. Yeah, like I mean, look, I'm not going. I'm only not, do a half portion though. Yeah, I find yeah the, the batter on chicken balls can be quite hefty. Graham's yawning there. That's why he's struggling to. Yeah, right, man. Are you tired? <laughs> I say I like them when they're nice and soft batter. I don't like the crispy batter. Yeah, I don't know. Ian Mahan, who we've had on this podcast and is a friend of the show, swears by cold chicken balls. Like day well, day day after chicken balls kind of thing. I wouldn't yeah, I wouldn't say no either. <laughs> don't know. Yeah. Are you are you a fan of day old like day after pizza? You got a pizza say at night time and then the following day you're like a little bit left over, I'll eat that cold kind of thing. No, see like I've no. No. The odd time when I get a Chinese, like, and I'd leave some, if my dad was out in the pub, and I'd leave some in the microwave from, and then the next day, it's still there. I might have a chunk of a day old, day after chicken well. But I don't, when I finish the takeaway, I just bin it all. Yeah. But like, say, like, if you, never if, leftovers. But like, if, have you, like, ever, so if you ordered a pizza, say, and like, your eyes are bigger than your belly, and there was like, say, three or four good slices left, you you filled up on sides, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you've got half a pizza left. You'd bin that rather than saying, do you know what? Tomorrow there's me lunch sorted or whatever. Yeah, I'd bin it. Yeah. I don't know. Don't get me wrong. The next day, at lunchtime, and I knew I throw, I knew I threw three slices of pizza. You'd be very upset with yourself. <laughs> yeah, go mad. <laughs> I can't do it. I was, I was asking that because a lot of people I know love cold pizza, and I'm I can't. I put it back in the oven to reheat it. Like don't microwave it. 
Don't microwave it. That ruins it. You need to oven would, that. Wouldn't be, I wouldn't be eating a uh, cold pizza now. No, I'm glad. I'm glad you agree with me there, Graham. Glad you agree with me. Um, I don't know where that came from, to be honest. I don't you. know. Just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Should, yeah. should, should we leave it there, Dan? We will indeed. We will indeed. Massive thanks to Irv Much, Nick. And make sure to check out concussioninc.net and Irv Much on Twitter um, to, to keep up to date with all his writings and all his findings and everything else that Irv gets up to. Um, some brilliant reading on that website. Genuinely, there is. If you want to hear more of us or find out more about us, Marshall people have just discovered us, what can they do? You can go to any podcast provider uh, and search S Pod, and that's where you'll get us on Spotify, Podcast Republic, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere anywhere you can get a podcast. You can also get us on Twitter at WTS Pod, and you can get us on the website WTSPod.com. Indeed, you can. You can, you can get him at Danjo Murray everywhere and anywhere, and you can get me at Merrigamania. Absolutely. Well, lads, that's it for this week. That's it. That's WTS 185 in the bag. Can't Punch. wait for next week's episode. Next week's a doozy. It's going to be good crack. But, Mero, until then, all hearts. Can't lose. Too sweet. Look. Look.